0: Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com. Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. University City Missouri is today among the more diverse communities in the St. Louis area. The St. Louis County municipality spans Delmar Boulevard and while the areas north of the street are largely black and many areas south of it are white, it's still more integrated than many other suburbs. It's 52% white and 37% black with the rest mostly Asian or Latino. But five decades ago, U-City was almost entirely white, and that was also true of the public schools. When Judy Gladney began attending University City High School in the 60s, she was one of its very first African-American students, and she found herself bridging two disparate worlds. So did the man she would later marry, Eric Vickers. The path they blazed would be followed by tens of thousands of other black students. And now, as Judy gears up for her 50th high school reunion, she's looking back on her years within the U-City School District. And her story is also the subject of a news story by journalist Ellen Futterman. You may have read it in the Post-Dispatch yesterday. It was produced by the local nonprofit Before Ferguson, Ferguson, Beyond Ferguson, and supported with a grant from the Pulitzer Center, based in Washington, D.C. Joining me in studio to talk about it is Judy Gladney. Judy, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. And we're also joined today by Ellen Futterman. She's a local journalist who's been working to help tell the Gladney Vickers family story. Ellen, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Sarah. Do you have a question or comment about the desegregation of University City High School for our guests? Or maybe you or someone in your family helped to desegregate another school. We'd love to hear about your experience. Give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Or you can send us a tweet at STL on air or email us at talk at stlpublicradio.org. Now, Judy Gladney, you told Ellen Futterman that at first you had no interest in attending your high school reunion. Why is that?
1: Uh, that's actually because I had attended either my 20th or 25th reunion, and I didn't really re- remember many people there. They didn't remember me. And so uh, even though I was surrounded by all these people in this room for a reunion, I didn't have a close connection to most of the students, uh, black or white. Uh, There were very few African Americans that attended the reunion. So I just decided enough snuff. I won't do this again. Um, I was convinced uh, to do this, though, because of the current political climate, it's really important that we bridge some of the racial divide that's happening now. And I think uh, I'm very glad that I agreed to not only do the article and go to the reunion, but here having various media appearances to open the dialogue uh, among various groups to um, make sure we have some racial understanding.
0: And that story by Ellen Futterman, who's sitting here with you, um, that came out this weekend. um, And it sounds like it's gotten a huge reaction. What kind of feedback have you been hearing from people?
1: Very positive from all racial uh, groups and various ethnicities um, and various genders also. A lot of the black students said, oh, gosh, I can relate to what you're saying, whether they attended U-City or whether they broke racial barriers in other school districts. And the white students many times were surprised. Uh, I had no idea you were going through that experience. Mm -hmm. Or there were very supportive uh, comments such as, I remember Judy back then, and I, you know, admired the strength that it took or the courage. And to me, I was a 13-year-old kid. I, I... it didn't seem like I was being strong or courageous, especially re- I remember in the South. Those were courageous students mm-hmm. who uh, had soldiers escorting them into their classroom. There was so, some violent pushback. On, exactly. On that I did not experience anything like that. I just was a kid who was thrown into a new situation and had to navigate those waters, as many students do.
0: So we're going to talk about what it was like navigating those waters here in a moment. But before we get to that, Ellen Futterman, um, you helped to tell this story. Tell us a little bit about this project. What's the goal of of helping to illuminate stories like Judy's?
2: Well, the goal is really to talk about... the whole integration process in, in St. Louis um, o- over time, and we felt like the best way to do it is really through personal stories. So uh, I am involved in telling Judy and her family side of this story, and my counterpart and friend, Sylvester Brown Jr., is going to be telling the Vickers side of it, Judy's ex-husband, Eric Vickers, who was a civil uh, rights activist and attorney here in town, Um, unfortunately he died of pancreatic cancer about a year ago Mm -hmm. and so we're going to merge these two stories into a book that uh, we will have available that you know is being supported by the Pulitzer Center um, and is part of the Before Ferguson Beyond Ferguson project so um, Judy and Eric's story will be part of even a larger group of stories um, that will be focusing on others as well.
0: And it is a remarkable story, both your story and his. I know he was very well known in town for his activism. And Mm -hmm. to sort of flesh out that story, Mm -hmm. that sounds like a great sort of component to this as well.
2: It really is. And and, uh, it's been very interesting because the post-dispatch story, while I think was a very good beginning, really just scratched the surface. Um, There's so much to tell. And Judy's story and her children's story is so much more complex. So I really look forward to continuing on with being able to tell more And that's the perfect
0: segue to what we want to talk about uh, more today. So, Judy, your family wasn't just among uh, the first black families to enroll their kids in University City Schools. It was also among the first black families to settle in University Hills, which was a neighborhood south of Del Mar. Do you know what propelled your parents to seek out that sort of gated neighborhood there?
1: Um, My father was a physician, and he was told by one of his colleagues that a house was for sale in the hills, we did not realize that there was a restrictive covenant in many of the communities that were south of olive or south of delmar
0: basically saying that black people could not even it's, legally purchase these houses. exactly
1: so uh when my father heard about this house in the hills uh he knocked on the door on uh, one sunday morning and talked to the owner and expressed his interest in buying the house she was a little woman uh, I, probably in her 80s, and her husband had recently died. It was a house, a fairly large house, uh, and she was ready to just uh, move on. I'm not sure she moved in with the kids or whatever, but she wanted to uh, downsize. Um, She fell in love with my dad um, and agreed to sell the house to him. So she called the realtor to let him know that she had found a, a buyer, when he found out that we were a black family, uh, he said, absolutely no. He was not going to sell the house uh, to a black family. Again, think about the times. Mm-hmm. There was restrictive covenant. covenant. Um, so the owner was this spitfire of a woman, and she was like, nobody is going to tell me who I can sell my house to. There was 120 days left on her real estate contract. She sat out that time. She had it. A couple of other offers. One offer was at least five thousand more than what my parents had uh, agreed to pay, which was the asking price. And this woman, with the kindness of her heart, said, "No, I'm selling to Dr. Gladney. I talked to him, and uh, that's who I'm going to sell the house to." Wow. We were not the we were the first family in the hills, and we found out uh, after we moved that the community had meetings about. What's going on? Black folks are moving into the hills. This black family is, you know, going to now be our neighbors. So you have to realize the context of the time. It was almost like a, a revol- <laughs> revolutionary type of uh situation. It was groundbreaking. And
0: that this 80-year-old woman kind of led the way.
1: Exactly. If it had not been for her, we would not have had that house.
0: And so you were 13 mm-hmm. um, when your family moved. I understand you didn't really want to at least you didn't want to go to the schools. I was
1: um mad to be truthful. Um not so much about moving. Uh it was about moving out of the community that I grew up with. I had truly a community experience. I walked to the park. I played tennis. It was a, um, my friends were, you know, all over within walking distance when I lived in North St. Louis. Again, remember the context of the times. We could not live. Um, I don't remember going past St. Louis University. Hmm. Uh, because not going south, south of there. Because South St. Louis, I was fearful of going into South St. Louis. Uh, whether that was fact or fiction, the bottom line is we were afraid of going into South St. Louis. So, you know, um, my friends were not just doctors and, and lawyers. My friends were whomever was living in St. Louis, and I loved that experience. So I was mad because my brother and sister had gone to Beaumont High School, and I thought that that was my right. That should be my legacy. Um, and, and, you know, it ended up I went to Hanley Junior High, Um and it you know everything worked out for good but as a 13 year old you could not have told me that
2: i i love uh, when judy was talking to me about that and she said you know the city at the time they didn't have junior high schools ninth grade was high school and she's like what's this junior high school thing right to <laughs> what are them? they doing <laughs> out in the suburbs <laughs> i had never heard of a junior <laughs> high
1: school so i was i was pretty miffed at the whole idea of going to a junior high of uh, not continuing the legacy that my brother and sister had at Beaumont.
0: Now, Ellen, you described Judy's experience as, quote, bridging two worlds. Judy, would you, how would you characterize those two different worlds of um, these kids that you met in your sudden new life right in the middle of junior high school? Um, I believe it's Langston Hughes has written
1: a poem, We Wear the Mask. So every black person in America bridges at least two worlds. So that my experience was no different than that. Uh, You talk one way when you're talking to your black friends, you talk another way when you're talking to your parents, Mm -hmm. you talk another way when you're talking to, uh, you know, your teachers or whatever. So that's not a unique experience in the black community. What was unique is I had never been exposed to Jewish Hmm. people. That was the cultural awakening. And I absolutely love it. I love the fact that we lived close to Hasidic Jews. So I would see... Um, the men and the families walking to their synagogues or temples. I learned about um, the Sabbath starting on Saturdays and if they were uh, Orthodox Jews they couldn't turn off the lights and you know, the dietary restrictions, mm-hmm. the holidays that was fabulous to me. Um, and there is um, to me there's a kinship between blacks and Jews historically uh, we have been oppressed in different ways mm-hmm. but there's a history of oppression uh, in addition um, with the Jewish community they have historically helped with the civil rights movement there were many um, there were people who even died that were Jewish people that mm-hmm. were fighting for civil rights so um, that was that was a blessing to get that exposure My parents attended a predominantly white, church. So I joined a a white church at four years old. So it wasn't so unique to me Mm -hmm. to be in a multi, I mean, a
2: white environment.
1: environment. Exactly. And I was uh, said in the article, we were, my father was the black person everybody sort of got along with. And it wasn't that he uh, cowtailed to white people. It was just, he was this mellow person that everybody sort of got along with. And he, he would do his civil rights and activism th- type thing. But um, people just were comfortable with him, black or white. He was one of the first physicians that had white patients, as a matter of fact.
0: And for you as a student at University City High School, um, were you able to find mentors? Did teachers give you a fair chance?
1: I had two teachers that s- stood out in my mind, Dennis Lubeck and Karen Berger. And they took such an interest in me and two other students that Karen Berger opened up her home. And we had enrichment classes in her home over the summer. And was she
0: doing this for all the students? Or
1: no, just, just the three of us. Okay. Uh, it was a gentleman named Clement Can who graduated and ended up going to Harvard okay. uh, undergrad and became a filmmaker and is now living in New York, and then a a woman uh, who was one of my best friends named Diane Ridley, uh, Diane Ridley Gatewood. Uh, Her husband just is now having an exhibit at the local art museum, at the St. Louis Art Museum, Uh, and she's... um, a retired attorney general for, who practiced in New York for many years. So this so, was a pretty
0: smart group. and Well, they were smart. <laughs> I can attest to that. And I was sort of tagging along.
1: <laughs> Grateful to be
0: there. <laughs> now, you mentioned earlier sort of these much more violent struggles that had happened in the South. And exactly. looking at that, you were almost about the same age as Ruby Bridges, who had to be accompanied by federal marshals in right. order to integrate mm-hmm. the New Orleans School. How aware were you of just this broader civil rights struggle at the the time when you were so young.
1: Extremely aware, extremely. My father actually mark with, marched with Martin Luther King, which I don't remember. Um, I found that out after he had passed away, which was sort of sad because I never was able to talk to him about it. Um, but we ate dinner together as a family, which that was sort of what happened back then. And we would watch the news, Huntley and Brinkley, at night. So not only did you see the fire hoses on um, the demonstrators and protesters, but, you know, the Vietnam War and all of that. So I was very aware, and I don't think I was that politicized as a young person. It was the times. Everyone was sort of politicized. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, We're talking today with Judy Gladney about her role in helping to desegregate University City High School as a student. We're also here with Ellen Futterman, who's written a remarkable story about Judy's life. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests, To make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com. And now back to our conversation about desegregating University High School. And also a note related to that, um, two of our guests today, Ellen Futterman and Judy Gladney, will also be speaking at a different event Friday evening at University City Public Library. And we want to encourage you to join them for that. The storytelling project that they're a part of for that is a production of the local nonprofit Before Ferguson, Beyond Ferguson. And it's supported with a grant from the Pulitzer Center, which is based in Washington. And now back to our conversation with Judy Gladney and Ellen Futterman. Uh, we'll have another guest who we'll meet in a minute here. But first, Judy, I wanted to ask you, um, after you graduated from University City High School, um, you ended up having a baby. I did. Um, and this is something where apparently the school wasn't aware that, that you were pregnant your senior year and, and your parents weren't really aware of it at, right. at the time you graduated. Well,
1: actually, they were aware by the time I graduated. I, uh, I didn't even know I was pregnant until I was three months pregnant. And um, I was given it the, the option of having an abortion, uh, but I would have had to gone out of state to have the abortion. That just did not feel right to me. Um, and so I chose to have the child. Uh, my parents were not willing uh, to help me raise the child. There wasn't McDonald's or fast food then, so I couldn't, you know, say, well, I'm going to leave and, you know, do my own thing. Yeah. Um, and Also, that's just not who I am. Um, My parents were the type that they said something, and you did it. And so I went to a home for unwed mothers. You don't even hear about that anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't even show until after I had graduated from high school. So
0: your classmates didn't know my about this? My classmates
1: didn't know and you have to understand the context of the time. If, if they had known, if the school had known, I would have been expelled. Mm-hmm. That was socially unacceptable. Even at a
0: public school, that would have been Even at a
1: public school. So it was just by God's grace that I didn't <laughs> show I was able to graduate with my class. It did delay me going to college. Mm -hmm. I was accepted at Howard University and had to put that off for a semester. I did find my daughter two years ago. She's now living in Thailand. She graduated from Harvard Law School, and now she's an expert, a global expert, on disrupting human trafficking in the sexual slave trade. So I've seen her several times since I met her, and I just recently came back from Thailand wow. visiting her.
0: So as you look back on that experience, I'm sure that that just changed, you know, that experience of giving birth and then giving up the baby changed so many things in your life that, that happened it did. after that. It did. Now as you're looking back on that, um, what what are, what are you thinking as you think about your daughter? Well,
1: I just— asked her if I could write a book because every time I tell my story people either say I get they get goosebumps or please tell your story it can help so many people um I have to say I had a hole in my soul Mm -hmm. I had a hole in my soul and ache in my heart for over 50 years and it's just now starting the healing process she did likewise um that's another story for another program (laughs) yeah but um I told uh, my children's father before I got married, I've had this child. Uh, I just need you to be cool about this because one day I'm gonna find her. And I, um, the man I married had political aspirations. I did not want him to be in a campaign stop and someone say, "Do you know your wife had a baby?" <laughs> you know, and out of you know that was a big deal yeah, back then. It could then. have been a scandal. Exactly. So he knew from the very beginning that I had a child before I met him, and he was cool with that. He was good, and and my daughter. Um, and son, I told at an appropriate age. So they knew about her from a very young age.
0: This was not a secret within your family?
1: Well, it was a secret with my parents. It was a big, dark secret. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was determined with my immediate family that we would not have those kind of secrets.
0: So we're also joined, in addition to Ellen and Judy, we're joined today by Erica Vickers-Cage, and she's the daughter of Judy Gladney and her uh, late husband, Eric Vickers. She also attended University City High School, although she did it many years later. Erica, welcome to the show.
3: Thank you for having me.
0: So you grew up, um, your mother was very honest with you about the fact that she had gotten pregnant. Oh, absolutely. Um, Did she also sort of openly discuss this experience of being? being a minority at University City High School? She did. She and my father both did discuss being
3: minorities, but I didn't understand the magnitude of how much they were outcast until this article came out. (laughs) Really, until the article came out. I mean, we've been having these interviews, but when I actually read the print, it just didn't, didn't resonate whatsoever how much they you know, there are only sixty black kids. I think the article said. Out of 600. I do know, six hundred. had in a no, very large high school. I, mean, I yeah. had no idea.
0: And you no. had a much different experience. Much different experience. <laughs> what were the? What was the racial breakdown at at you city high school? Oh, it high was school? predominantly black.
3: I okay. would say it would be opposite. There are probably about fifty white children yeah
2: (laughs) so (laughs) that was a much different experience. yeah I
3: think it was total opposite
0: is it hard to relate then when you hear about just this this dramatic different experience your mother had at the same school it is
3: hard to relate
0: I I don't
3: because I was around black people which I say my people then I just I felt comfortable I didn't feel like an outsider whatsoever I felt and even the white people I was friends with them as well Um, I could tell that there was some differences and that They might have felt like outcasts, um, but I was always friends with them. Um.
2: It was so interesting to me when when I would talk with Judy about her experience, I would get one story. When I would talk about Erica and her experience, I'd get a different story. When I talked to both of them, it was interesting because Erica didn't really see any problems with certain things, and Judy would say, well, you know, you got an A on this uh, on this exam where you sh- and you have all these grammatical errors in this uh, how could this teacher pass you and so on. So her expectations and Erica's expectations were completely different from <laughs> at that time. Judy,
0: it did come across in Ellen Futterman's uh, terrific story that you were very unhappy with the education that your daughter got. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Um what, you just felt it wasn't academically rigorous enough or what what do you think was going on there? Not only did I not
1: feel it, but we come from a family where education is stressed, you are expected to choose where to go to college. It's not even uh, a question of will you go to college. So when Erica would come home and not have homework, and I knew how many hours I would spend. You know, you might have a term paper that's 40 pages or whatever, and that's just one of your college courses. I told her if she didn't figure out how to have homework, we would start having homework that I would give. And I would relate to her about Rose Kennedy. I remember how Rose Mm -hmm. Kennedy At the dinner table, they had to have almost reports, uh, book reports. So I told her, okay, listen, if you're not going to get it at U-City, you're going to get it from Mama Judy because you are going to be prepared.
0: Erica, um, was that unusual? She is
1: not
0: lying. It's nice to know we have someone to vouch for our our truth here. Erica, was your mom um, more strict than the the mothers of your friends? Yes, very much Did (laughs) (laughs) Did you appreciate that at the time? No, not whatsoever. I was mad.
2: At
3: the time, I didn't understand whatsoever. Now that I'm older, of course, I appreciate it. But no, at the time, I was extremely mad. I mean, if the teachers didn't give homework, then why do I have to do extra? Why do I have to read all these extra hours? I didn't get it at
2: all.
0: Now, Ellen Futterman, you also interviewed um, Judy's son and Erica's brother, Mm -hmm. uh, Aaron Vickers. Mm -hmm. What was his experience like in that same system?
2: Well, his was even, um, I think, more fractured, perhaps, uh, because he started off at the same uh, elementary school that Erica had gone to, Jackson Park, but by the time he was going, he felt like a lot of the kids, and he didn't really, he didn't really uh, distinguish between black and white kids, but he felt like a lot of the kids were being pushed through; hmm. that uh, they weren't uh, really taking the time with them that they maybe needed, um, and he also talked a little bit about pressures that he felt by the time he finished Jackson Park and, and moved on to middle school, where um, not that he had many that many white friends at Jackson Park. There were a few in the neighborhood. But he felt like he could no longer be friends with them, that he was having pressure from his African-American friends not to be friends with any hmm. of the kids that he had played soccer with. And that was another thing he'd said. He said he was a really great soccer player. But soccer uh, wasn't deemed a respectable res- uh, sport for an African American kid like himself, as say basketball and football were. And he said and he was a really great okay. soccer player. Now mm-hmm. he did go on to play football, and he was very good at that. But um, you know, he, he looks back a little wistfully at at, mm-hmm. at those missed experiences.
0: Now, Judy, um, after you and Erica ended up, uh, after you and Eric ended up divorcing, you moved to Creve Corps just to get him out of the U City district. Did that help That's at true. all?
1: Um, you know what. <laughs> it was another two-edged sword because educationally it was better. uh, But he had never encountered racism Mm -hmm. because U-City has a somewhat liberal mindset. So he had always had like a United Nations type experience in U-City. And he had no problems with the white or Jewish kids that were still there. But the Pattonville district Spans a lot of different social economic levels. So you have working class people, and then you had kids that were driving their personal BMWs or maybe even Mercedes. A to lot school. of wealth in that
0: district there.
1: A lot of wealth and a lot of working class. I mean, it really and a lot so a uh, yes, and and there were there was the whole deseg. Uh, kids that were bused in. So he sort of gravitated toward the said kids. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't feel close to the kids, the black kids that grew up in the schools because sort of the same reason I didn't feel close to the kids at U-City. They had formed their, own, their social groups in grade school. Um, to speak to his experience being different than Erica's, Erica had a very strong black principal at the elementary school. By the time Erin was there, there was a white principal who I really got the feeling she had not had much experience dealing with a black student population. Mm -hmm. So there were some things like timed tests that Erica did from first grade until she graduated in fifth grade. And each year you took those same tests. And by fifth grade, you could do those math problems in your head. Um, By the time my son came along, they had said, well, you know, everybody has a computer and that's a joke. Um, and so we don't need to do the time test. Hmm. So his education was not the same quality that Erica's was., um, and he was very frustrated when he went to Pattonville. The black kids were uh, admonished for sagging or whatever, but the black the white kids could have purple hair and spike leather things around their neck or you know earrings in their you know nose or multiple earrings in their. Um, ears. So there was a big double standard about what was acceptable for the white population to wear and what the black population could wear. And
0: that had to have been frustrating. And that was based on fear. Mm-hmm. They were distrustful of these black students that were now within that school.
1: And that's a universal problem. That's not a Pattonville problem. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, I know the university city schools, that they have a, a new superintendent who I'm told is very good, and they're mm-hmm. really working at, at trying to get that district where they where they think it should be. But it sounds like, Erica, you kind of hit it at a point when it was in transition and, and things maybe were headed in the wrong direction. I didn't feel it whatsoever. Okay, yeah,
3: <laughs> would, I didn't feel. You it would on the experience. I, I, my experience was wonderful at U City. I have absolutely no complaints. Now you talk to my mother, <laughs> like Ellen said, and it's a totally different outlook, totally different take on that because Erica
1: had, I think, four principal principals in four years. Um, it was at three least three. Or- three principals in four years so there was no stability obviously that shows that there were some issues going on uh I was I was not a happy camper with her her uh, education at the high school.
0: Now let's uh, let's switch gears to talk just a little bit about your late husband. Um, mm-hmm. He was a very prominent um, civil rights activist in town. Sort exactly. of worked in some of the top law firms and ended right. up pushing using that position to push for change, not just to to make money as often top law firms do. Right. Um, Erica, how aware were you of of what he was working on and just his history of activism? I was aware of what he was doing, but again,
3: well. My father, he was had a very compartmentalized life. I mean, family was family. Work was work. His religion was his religion. His friends were his friends. So we knew what he was doing. We just didn't know to the extent of how important and how imperative it was what he was doing. We didn't know that he was kind of like, you know, changing the world, changing the city mm-hmm. as, you know, as far as blacks um,
0: now, Judy, well. I know you guys got together um, after you'd graduated from high school, even though you were there at the same time. Were you aware when you were there of some of these protests that he was doing and these sort of activist things that he was up to? Not at all, because I was on the East Coast at that point. I
1: was at Howard uh, University when, um, in 1970, the school was shut down. Uh, actually, we had started, when I was at UCity, uh Black Student Association, and we were talking about some of the things that we needed to feel more comfortable in the school. Uh, At the time we were there, I think there was one black teacher, a Mrs. Williams, Mm -hmm. who taught typing. But other than that, there were no black teachers, no books about African-American history, no black administrators. So the ground was set Mm -hmm. when I was there. But by the time he graduated in 1970, they actually had a student walkout and shut the school down until some demands were made. And you have to remember, uh, Kent State was happening. Uh, again, it was a sign of the times where there was lots of student activism. And so the high school students at City picked up on that and um, made some significant
2: changes. The world was changing very quickly just in the oh, very yeah. small age gap exactly. between you and Eric. Yeah, it's interesting because I went to high school in in. Westbury, New York. Uh, I'm just a few years just a few years younger than Judy, <laughs> but uh, I remember exactly the same thing happening in my high school. My high school is very similar in its demographics to U City, and same thing was going on there. A uh, uh, number of the African American students had certain demands and so on, shut the school down for several days, and it was right around the Kent State mm-hmm. uh, exactly. incident. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so look, we just
0: got a, another minute or so here today, unfortunately, and there's so much more that we could <laughs> be talking about. But looking at the situation with schools in the St. Louis area, and so many of them remain segregated, mm-hmm. and yeah. you couldn't say that's because of housing covenants anymore, but people are choosing to put their kids in, you right. know, white parents are putting their kids in private school. They're getting right. them out of there. Um, do you feel discouraged, Judy, when you look at where things are today?
1: I'm discouraged, but I'm an eternal optimist, and I get teased about that. So I'm not depressed or down about it. Um, This is exactly why I'm doing this radio program now. This is exactly why I'm going to do the program at the City High School. I believe that um, you have to push for change. Um, Freedom does not come uh, with passivity. You have to push for freedom. You have to push for inclusion. Um, I've, I've said I would love for the Asian population to be more represented at the high school. It's not what's frustrating to me is that you city uh, that St. Louis is a black and white kind of town. I don't see much diversity. My father worked with many Asian doctors and different types of doctors, but you don't see that in any community. And I would love for there to be more diversity. And on Friday, we can continue this conversation and i would love to talk about the possibilities of making you city more like it was uh, when it was more racially inclusive.
0: Now, Erica, I know you now live in, I believe, Shiloh, Shiloh Illinois. Illinois. Um, as a, a member of the younger generation from your mother, do you feel hope as, as you look at the young people today? Or do you think it's going to take a lot more to get us where we need to be? I think there's, it's going to take
3: a lot more to get us to where we need to be. Um, I think there's a mindset that's, that needs to shift. Um, I think there needs to be more inclusion. I think the younger generation, they are being more inclusive. however, we do have those parents of the younger generations who want to still, like you said, make sure the whites go to the private schools and they don't attend the black schools for whatever reason. Um, so I think there's I think it's gonna be a while before we see that. It's very frustrating, but I do think it'll be a while before we see. Erica's son, my grandson,
1: has experienced racism in O'Fallon, Illinois uh, firsthand, and it's been frustrating for him because he was in a predominantly white district in Jefferson City and had no real problems there. Hmm. Sort of the same thing with my son and going to Pattonville, and he's been slapped in the face with racism in O'Fallon, Illinois. So, um, You know, things change, but they don't. And so uh, that's why these kinds of discussions are so important.
0: So on that note, unfortunately we're out of time, but I do want to encourage anybody who's interested, um, Ellen Footerman and Judy Gladney will both be at the University City Public Library. That's on Friday night. What time is that? 6 p.m. 6 p.m., says Ellen, um, and that is open to the public. Um, and this is part of uh, Before Ferguson, Beyond Ferguson, and it's supported by the Pulitzer Center in Washington. So I want to thank you all. Judy Gladney, thank you so much for oh, being thank here you. today. Thank you for having me. And Ellen Footerman, congratulations on an awesome story.
2: Thank you very much, Sarah.
0: And uh, Erica vickers cage Thank you so much for joining Thank us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU.